Welcome to The Signal Podcast. I'm Alex Rose. And I'm Katrin Pilkington. Today we're exploring religion and spirituality in an increasingly secular world. Roughly 35% of millennials do not identify with any religion, according to a 2014 survey from the Pew Research Center. Increasingly, young people are identifying as spiritual instead of religious. Others have denounced organized religion altogether. Signal reporter Jennifer Lee took to both the Dalhousie and King's campuses to see what students had to say about the trend. I think a lot of millennials stigmatize the churches and the mosques and various other things as having these sort of negative aspects to them that they find stifling. Personally, I am able to kind of look past that and I, I am still part of my church. Lots of people think that uh, religion controlling their life and there is so many rules. People start to not really care about God and like religion they just start to care about business about uh, their future I think everyone's a little more open-minded actually old religion is so traditional that it's really restricting and now I think people are just realizing that what we thought in the past isn't necessarily what's true now you can do whatever you want believe whatever you want and kind of say whatever you want if I join a religion, I have to be told how to live, and I don't like those kinds of restraints, and I find that I get a lot out of performing rituals, and that's what I like about religion, and that's the value that I see in religion. To me, I think the difference between religion and spirituality is religion is a set doctrine. Organized religion just sort of like creates like boundaries and I feel like with millennials they're sort of like looking to like express themselves in ways that aren't limited to boundaries or like. I think millennials are the people who are just generally challenging the status quo. So millennials are continuously asking questions and they're challenging the things that are being taught. So they're not interested in just accepting what they're told to believe anymore. Um, people are more open to exploring other ideas and thinking, you know, maybe, hey, this isn't actually working out. Those were comments from students at Dalhousie and King's collected by The Signal's Jennifer Lee. As you can hear, religion is a dirty word for many students. Many young people have a more secular approach to life. I spoke with Dalhousie University Zen Buddhism chaplain, Reverend James Smith, in the Signal Studio. Students in particular are less into organized religion than they used to be. I don't know if that's something you've noticed, but <laughs> if it is, it seems like it is. Uh, what would you say to someone who doesn't like the idea of religion at all, it just doesn't appeal to them? Yeah, it's certainly understandable um, if people have concerns about organized religion. My Zen teacher one time laughed and said, what do people want, disorganized religion? <laughs> so the media plays a very important role in terms of the image people form. Uh, I, I, I used to teach school, and I remember saying to my grade 5 students, you know, if one of you runs up here and stabs me today, You'll be front and center in the news. But 27 of you are sitting there patiently doing your work, uh, working hard. You're not going to be front and center in the news. And the reason I said that to them is, is what was going on in the news at the time was quite upsetting. This is the reality, and, and so don't let 
things get twisted because of um, you know what's brought front and center is not necessarily the the average picture of this of what's going on in the world. One person you know acts unethically within an organized religion. There may be 500 people acting very ethically. And so again, the illusion can be created that, well, this organized religion is just, uh, you know, completely bereft of ethics, ethical behavior. And so I certainly understand where the concern is. So those who are involved with organized religion, so to speak, they have to be mindful of what's going on. When I took my vows, the very first vow is do no harm. Second one is do good. And the third is do good for others. I think the third one's thrown in so it doesn't become narcissistic. <laughs> do a lot of good yeah. for yourself. But if people don't follow those, you know, but claim to be religious, well, you know, uh, inside monk and outside monk do not match. What they're presenting to the world, you know, I'm, and what they're doing <laughs> when the lights are off are two different things. If those two come together, inside monk and outside monk are unified, then it's easy. You know, you're not playing any games. You're not present your, presenting yourself as anything other than what you are. So I think the people of today, young people and, and older people, can trust their intuition. You know, uh, take a look. If the, if the person doesn't practice what they preach, well, <laughs> and, and, and your, your, you know, your red lights go off, uh, it's probably well that they do. That was James Smith. Soto Zen Chaplain for Dalhousie University. If you'd like to learn more about Soto Zen Buddhism, you can visit the Multipath Center on 1321 Edward Street every Sunday morning at 10. He'll be leading free sessions on meditation and study. Even as students become more secular, Buddhism is spreading beyond its traditional roots. Dr. Christopher Austin is a Dalhousie professor who specializes in Eastern religions. He says based on what he sees in his introduction to Buddhism class, more students are adopting Buddhist practices. I think most students in that class are, they're very curious, and I think they're sort of more interested in actual spiritual, personal practice than, say, for example, in my Hinduism class, generally people who take that are not curious about adopting any Hindu practices in their lives. But Buddhism tends to draw in people who are, I think there's an expectation that they will be personally, spiritually, you know, benefited somehow uh, from taking the class. Even though I'm not a Buddhist, I don't teach meditation or, or even practice it myself. I've, I've tried it. Uh, I'm afraid I'm a uh, classic sort of uh, stuffy old prof who, who talks about things and doesn't do them. <laughs> but uh, yeah, definitely a, a major difference between the students in the Buddhism class versus basically every other course that I, that I teach in that respect. Dr. Christopher Austin teaches courses about Hinduism, Buddhism, and Chinese and Japanese religions at Dalhousie. An increasing number of Haligonians go to urban meditation centers. People even come from across the country to study Buddhism in Nova Scotia. That includes at least one Hollywood star. 18 months ago, there were reports Ben Affleck was in the area visiting a local monastery. It's just one indicator of the rising interest in this Eastern religion. The Signal's Seth Earle has this report. First, it's always good to know why we're doing such a radical thing as sitting quietly in this way and seemingly doing not very much. Usually people come to meditation because they want more happiness. That was Eve Rosenthal at the Shambhala Center in Halifax. 
Shambhala tradition was originally conceived by Chogyam Trungpa, who fled Tibet during Chinese occupation. Trungpa had a huge influence on Buddhism in the West and Halifax in particular. The center in Halifax is a place for urban meditation and learning the way of Shambhala. Part of transcendent knowledge Thus have I there's something about you that just that just changes. Uh, that's quite beautiful. Tyler Clark reflects on his time at Gampo Abbey. Gampo Abbey, located in the Cape Breton Highlands, is a rural monastery for the, from the Shambhala tradition. Tyler spent a year at the abbey, living monastic life. He was among the nuns and monks chanting at the Cape Breton Monastery. Those sounds were taken from a film by Kent Martin, who is also a member of the Yarn Sangha. Uh, Nova Scotia has an extremely strong uh, presence, uh, and just in terms of um, practitioners, and uh, and I just think uh, in general the the province uh, has a bit of a magical feel. <laughs> Tyler, originally from Calgary, left the University of Toronto partway through his degree to move to Gampo Abbey. He stresses the importance of balance in life. It's an interesting experience because it teaches you how to do certain things like going to live at um, at the monastery. But you also, in a lot of ways, forget how to do other things. Um, and trying to live uh, from both places is very hard. And you kind of need practices to live in the middle of uh, life rather than learn to get away from it. It was very painful for me, actually, to, to do that transition. It took uh, arguably years for me to get back in, into the back into the rhythm and rhyme of, of uh, school and the world. Tyler has since returned to university to finish his degree in astrophysics. He's still deeply involved with Buddhism and practices at a center in Toronto. For The Signal, I'm Seth Earle. Meditation is one of the hallmarks of Buddhism, but you don't have to be religious to benefit from the practice. Meditation centers say more people are meditating for health reasons. Signal reporter Diana Foxall checked out the Brahma Kumaris Meditation Center and has this report. The Brahma Kumaras organization was created in India in 1936. They now have 8,500 locations in 120 countries. The Halifax Centre opened 18 years ago and has been increasing its membership consistently. They're in their sixth location in Halifax, each one bigger than the last. Judy Johnson runs the Brahma Kumaras Centre out of Clayton Park. In meditation, I'm not trying to empty my mind. That's like creating an inner battle because it's impossible to empty the mind, the mind is full of thoughts. But because I'm thinking, I can, I can channel my thoughts, I can use my thoughts to create the energy inside myself that I want. Brahma Kumaras practices Raja Yoga. It's a form of meditation that aims to instill the power to control one's mind. Every thought I create will either have a positive effect on me or a negative, and it will then also have a positive effect on my world or a negative. So it all starts with me. Marva Zudi is a leadership coach in Halifax. She has been practicing Raja Yoga at the Meditation Center for three years. Vizudi used to meditate using the Shambhala method, but she says she finds Brahma Kumaris is a better fit for her. I was interested in exploring different forms of meditation. So um, in addition to quietening my mind, I wanted to explore being able to connect to something. How can I create an internal world 
that's stable in peace and love and calmness so that no matter what's happening in the external world that's chaotic, I can hold uh, a sense of peace and stability inside of myself. Vizuti says she likes that Brahma Kumaras is run by women. She cites a feeling of compassion as being one of the defining characteristics of the organization. She's used its practices to help her and her clients. To have a clean, open, calm space for people is really important, I think, as a coach, because it allows your presence, because your presence is so in the moment uh, and so calm and clean, it allows you to really add much more value to your clients. The purpose of meditating is to reconnect people with the power to calm and regulate their thoughts. Vizudi says it puts the individual back in the driver's seat. Raja means king in Hindi, so being the king or the, the, the master of your, of your state of mind uh, is pretty self-empowering, so that's kind of the cornerstone of it. Meditation classes are free, as it is thought that everyone has a right to peace. For The Signal, I'm Diana Foxall. Floria Agdalmamer is a productivity and wellness consultant and coach with a background in nutrition. She works to bring a sense of ease and fun into difficult situations in workplaces. She is also a member of the Baha'i Faith community in Halifax. She joined us in studio to talk about the connection between spirituality, happiness, and workplace productivity. Floria, hello. Hello. How do you help people increase happiness and spiritual wellness in your practice? First of all, I'd like to thank you for this opportunity. <laughs> I am really You're excited welcome. to be yeah. here. And uh, I do bring in scientific research, philosophical, spiritual, and intellectual. All of these elements are part of us as human beings. So it is really important to look at the whole person or the whole individual. And so that's where I am very interested. Hmm. Um, from your experience, can spirituality help personal productivity? I am biased, consciously. <laughs> Pardon the pun. I do believe spirituality does help. The reason People don't want to bring faith or religion to the workplace because then people want to say, well, I am right and you are wrong. And there are certain values and principles that can be effective and govern who we are, what we do, how we do things. We can agree on those. So I look for points of commonalities, points that bring people together, as opposed to looking at differences which divides people. So those principles may fit under mental health, may fit under science and medicine and philosophy and spirituality. Which is so interesting because that, from what I understand, is very much in keeping with the Baha'i faith itself, with this merging of sort of uh, different perspectives that point in the same direction, even if it is to do with faith. Are you consciously applying the same uh, elements of the Baha'i faith to your work in productivity? or Diversity and unity 
of uh, mankind, humankind, uh, is definitely one of the principles of the Baha'i faith. But do you have to be a Baha'i to believe that? Or someone may not believe in God at all, but still believe in their own deep connection and intuition. How does one begin to integrate their faith into the workplace? Is it in the ways you just mentioned of just bringing a sense of connection and harmony? If we say small f faith, as opposed to capital F, faith can also mean believing in a cause, believing in our workplace, capabilities and potential Uh, respecting, communicating much more effectively. It is a deeper connection to ourselves, our environment, and what we do. For me, it's not about keeping those uh, aspects of our lives, of our being, separate. For me, it's about bringing them together so that we understand each other better but we also understand our own selves. Thank you so much for joining us, Flori. It's been an absolute privilege. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kismin, for this fabulous opportunity. You can learn more about Floria by visiting her website, www.recognizeyourpotential.com, where she offers a number of programs, including work-life integration, stress management, and interpersonal communication. You're listening to the podcast version of The Signal. A regular show airs Friday mornings at 11 on CKDU. I'm Katrin Pilkington. And I'm Alex Rose. Emmeline Bush has lived in Lebanon, Iran, and Turkey with her husband. He taught math and computing at universities in those countries to support the Christians living there. When Emmeline returned to Canada, she began collecting Bibles in dozens of languages to sell to people who would otherwise have difficulty finding a Bible that resonated with them. My co-host Alex Rose has the story. When Emmeline Bush and her husband were living in Turkey, there was a festival at the university where her husband taught. One of the students got permission to show a film about the story of Jesus, which normally would not have been allowed. And when we got into the room, the room was packed. It was curiosity. They said, we've just never had a chance to hear about the Bible story about Jesus. So it wasn't that they were ready to commit themselves to believe, but they were very curious. When Emmeline returned to Canada, her experiences inspired her to start selling Bibles in as many languages as she could get her hands on. Now she sells Bibles in locations across Halifax, including the Dalhousie Student Union Building. She stands behind a vendor's table covered in Bibles in over 60 languages. She says she wants to make sure everyone who wants a Bible in their language can find a physical copy of one, whether it's for religious use or simply out of curiosity. So I want people to have access to get to know the true God who is God of love and reveal that love through Jesus Christ. That's my motivation. Even as many people move away from religion, Emmeline is inspiring others. Just last week at Dal, she met a woman from Shiraz. That's the same Iranian city that Emmeline and her husband had lived in. The woman was very excited to see a Persian Bible. The day before that, at St. Mary's, she sold an Arabic version of the Gospel of Luke to a Saudi Arabian student. He went to Tim Hortons to read as much as possible and came back to Emmeline with questions. Emmeline has also met a woman from Iraq through her Bible sales, and they now attend church together. But in the end, it's not important to Emmeline how people react to the content of the Bibles 
as much as their presence in Halifax. Again, they just want to know, do I think that their heart language is important? Emmeline has faced some criticism over the years, especially when she sets up shop on university campuses. But she turns the other cheek to those few negative reactions and focuses on the positive ones. For The Signal, I'm Alex Rose. If you'd like to visit Emmeline, she will have a table in the Student Union building next semester. You might think of witches around Halloween, but for a community of Haligonians, witchcraft is a year-round practice. The Signal's Lara Lewis spoke to some local witches and dropped by the studio earlier to tell Katrin about it. Lara, salutations. Hey. So, Lara, who are the witches of Halifax? Well, I spoke to a lot of people, mostly young women and mainly from the queer community. It's a small group, uh, and they usually practice their craft alone, but organized groups do exist, like the Earth Spirit Society of Nova Scotia. And not all of them identify as witches. Some describe themselves as, as pagans, others as Wiccans, and they aren't necessarily interchangeable. What do they believe? It's really broad. Uh, Some consider the practice a religion, some just like a spirituality, but generally it focuses on uh, the worship and veneration of nature. But these witches can't have actual power, right? Can they? So the idea got me thinking a lot about the subjectivity of realities. Maybe you can't like curse someone that you don't like, but practicing spirituality does seem to have positive effects. I spoke with a local self-described pagan named Mikhail Gardner about his experiences. Yeah, it got me through some shitty times in my teen years. It's given me, in difficult times, something that I can do when there's nothing else to be done about a thing. It's plugged me into a lot of creativity I wouldn't have otherwise really done anything with. Personally, it's connected me to a lot of people that I'm really glad I met. Like, the community of queer pagan youth is very tight-knit, and it's really good in that way for, you know, people People encourage each other and keep each other, you know, going and that sort of thing. Have you spoken to many other witches? I have, but a lot of them were really reluctant to speak publicly. Uh, Mikhail told me about the dangers of his craft. People know that if they mention it at work, they'll be fired. Or they mention it in front of their parents, and their parents go, oh, you're worshipping the devil, and things like that. I've I've known some people who've experienced profound impacts of that well into their adult lives. Um, and people that to this day are still like profoundly affected, and even to the point where it's affecting their children now. People in the past were persecuted for practicing witchcraft, but that doesn't still happen, does it? Are people actually afraid of things like devil worship? You might be surprised. I spoke with Pastor Phil Anderson, who co-leads a non-denominational, real-life community church. And this is from a phone call that I had with him yesterday afternoon. Yeah, we want to be accepting of different faith communities, but we do agree that that witchcraft is something that uh, Paul and and, uh, Spirit-led writers uh, spoke against and that it was not a that it was not a good uh, good practice though I must admit I don't know a whole lot about modern witchcraft I do believe that all people not just witches but all people have uh, an effect on what they do and on the world around them and uh, and I do believe that people like that, that there's also spiritual uh, powers at work for good and for evil to, to connecting with uh, with angels and, and but also with demons, and I think that's one of the reservations about getting involved in witchcraft is that there are also spirits that 
up front may look like they are good, but they're actually sometimes working for evil. The, the prohibition is because some of them can be evil. We need to watch out, and then, so we turn to Jesus to find to find our spiritual our spiritual power. From the people you've talked to, what do you think is the biggest issue facing the witches of Halifax? Well, I think it's a matter of visibility. Uh, pagan practices in witchcraft, they aren't as organized as other religions. There aren't buildings dedicated to their communities and identities, like there are churches or mosques. So that makes them more vulnerable as a group. There are religions that explicitly prohibit them, too. It's, it makes them inherently discriminated against. The closest thing they have to a formal meeting space would be a store that sells crystals or candles. Thank you, Lara. It's a perspective you don't hear much about. With the current supermoon, I'm sure the witches and pagans are celebrating. Lara Lewis is a student reporter in the King's Radio Workshop. She's part of our team this week that's examining religion and spirituality in all shapes and forms. Scientology is a notoriously secretive religious organization. They are known to follow and place surveillance on journalists. With the Center in Halifax, we wanted to find out more. It came as no surprise when the Halifax's Center for Scientology declined to comment. The Signal's Peter Topshi has this story. Scientology was created in 1954 by L. Ron Hubbard, or LRH. LRH is first and foremost a science fiction writer. Scientology is now associated with celebrities like Tom Cruise and John Travolta. All of its complexity, uh, and the more you know as a Scientologist, you don't become overwhelmed by it. <laughs> and, uh, I went, you know, she, they said, so, like, have you met an SP? <laughs> I was curious as to how this American phenomenon found its way to Halifax, of all places. The Church of Scientology Mission of Halifax has more than 40 members. So I went to the church in Fairview to check it out myself and to meet some of them. I was greeted with strong eye contact and graciousness. I was encouraged to fill out a personality test while I asked them for a recorded interview. They politely declined, and so did I. Dr. Mary Hale teaches religion and politics at St. Mary's University in Halifax. I asked her to describe the objective of Scientology. Stark and Bainbridge, who are two, um, yeah, uh, two uh, um, new religious movement scholars, among other things, um, classified um, classify cults in different ways and use different typologies. And one of their typologies is an entrepreneurial cult. And um, Scientology certain, certainly fits really well into that because it is by all intents and purposes, a money-making endeavor. L. Ron Hubbard famously said, you know, if you want to make a million dollars, start a new religion. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> um, now, L. Ron Hubbard, I think, at least at the end of his life, really believed in what, uh, in, in the doctrines that he had put forth. Um, and I think that in the very beginning, he also really believed that he had discovered something important about human psychology and, and did want to share it with the world, although I'm sure he would have patented it. You know, there were no flies on him. Um, he's somebody that we actually would admire as a capitalist if he was doing anything other than religion. Scientology, I have learned, is paradoxical. On one hand, Scientology is a UFO cult that believes the world was very similar 75 million years ago. But on the other hand, 
Scientology is geared towards self-help. They preach positive psychology and encourage congeniality, confidence, and generous donations. Dr. Hale classified Scientology as an entrepreneurial cult. But as the saying goes, religion is free, Scientology is neither. It's important for people to be educated on new religious movements before moving to judgment. I think it's a privilege to call yourself a Scientologist, and it's something that you have to earn. And because a Scientologist does, he or she has the ability to create new and better realities and improve conditions. I think it's important that people think critically. Um, and what I'd really like to do is, um, is make a plea for people to educate themselves about religion in general. It's, a, it, it's an integral factor of human existence. Whether or not you practice anything is irrelevant. It, it just is. Um, and to not know something in, about such a huge component of human history really leaves you ignorant and in the dark. For The Signal, I'm Peter Topshi. That's The Signal podcast for this week. Thanks for listening. I'm Alex Rose. And I'm Katrin Pilkington. And don't forget to catch our full shows on Friday at 11 a.m. on CKDU.